Hey guys, welcome to Mets Across the Pod. My name's Les. Uh, joining me today is David, but first of all, here's Tracy to introduce a very special guest on the pod today. And joining us today, we have Tim Healy from Newsday, and he is also an author. Welcome, Tim. Hello, thank you very much for having me. Thank you for agreeing to be on. You don't know what you let yourself in for, bless you. <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing today? I'm doing excellent, doing excellent. Just uh, uh, really just counting down the days till spring training and hoping that starts on time. I'm, I'm excited to get back into the swing of things, which is a normal feeling this time of year. You know, January yeah. tends to drag on and, uh, you know, off season is nice to rest. And then all of a sudden I start to get the itch again. So that's about where I am right now. Excellent. Excellent. As long as you're staying safe, then that's all good. Definitely. Um, so first question for you, with the new ownership, do you think that the relationship with the media has changed at all? Uh, I think, you know, it, 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 it has changed to some degree and I'm, I don't know how much it has changed and it's hard to tell without having that day to day routine. You mm-hmm. know, most of the media interaction comes with, comes in, you know, once you're in spring training, once you're in the regular season, you talk to the manager every day or twice a day. You talk to players every day. So I'll be able to tell more along those lines once everybody's in the same spot again. Um, but I think the offseason has shown you bits and pieces of how it's changed. I think one example is the Francisco Lindor trade where, you know, there was speculation throughout the offseason, but no, nothing was reported about the Mets' pursuit of Francisco Lindor until what 40 minutes before the team I think in stark contrast to for example the Robinson Cano Edwin Diaz trade where (laughs) that's what six days of reporting something Um, like that yeah yeah you know and and I'll I'll be honest I prefer the Lindor version where it doesn't drag on and on and on um so so uh Sandy's good at it Steve Cohen I heard for months while he was pursuing the team is good at it, keeping things locked down. Yeah. Fewer leaks, which is probably worse for me as a reporter, but <laughs> I'm sure we as a group of reporters will still be able to find them here and there. It's just a matter of getting to know the new terrain. Yeah. Do you guys think you'll get uh, the same access at spring training though, like you've normally got, or is it going to be very much at distance this year? Yeah, it's, it's it sounds like it's going to be at a distance. It's going to be very similar to the setup of last season where all interviews are on zoom. It sounds like, uh, whereas during, you know, quote unquote spring training in July at City Field, <laughs> yeah. reporters were limited to the press box for Port St. Lucie starting next month. It sounds like we're going to be able to wander the backfields and watch the workouts up close again, which is good. We'll of course just have to, you know, spread out obviously yeah. like you would anywhere else, uh, you know, in public. Um, so it's, you know, a, a small step forward, um, but not, not nearly, to be honest, not nearly what the norm is. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to be the mayor that brings up what happened to you a couple of years ago in the locker room. <laughs> I did ask you if there was anything you wanted to avoid and you just said, go for it. So go for it. Um, <laughs> It's been 
widely reported what happened. What's sort of your take on things? You know, my take on it hasn't really changed in in the year and a half, two years, however long it's been since it happened. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it was actually funny to hear uh, in hindsight, you know, in the aftermath from veteran reporters, people who have covered baseball longer than I've been alive about, oh, yeah, this was my version of that. And one time I had a blow up with this guy, yada, yada. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it underscored to me what I knew to be true that sometimes those things happen. You know, yeah. you're, you're around each other every day. People get mad. Nobody likes losing. Um, you know, and I'm not, that doesn't mean I'm going to stop doing my job of asking questions uh, mm-hmm. during the appropriate times. Uh, and it's just, you know, it, it blew over as I expected it to. And then, you know, everybody moved on with their life. So uh, uh, it was it wasn't fun. You know, as a reporter, yeah. you never want to be the story. That's one of the biggest things they teach you in journalism school. Um, unfortunately for me, that happened. And and then it was over and everybody got on with their lives. And, uh, you know, so it goes. We were just saying, Tim, um, that we're surprised it doesn't happen more often, to be honest, with the access yeah. you have or you had to locker rooms sure. over there in the States, because we couldn't imagine that scenario playing out very good over here on a week to week basis with like football changing rooms. You know, yeah. I think it happened every week. Yeah, it's and, and there are less exciting, less dramatic versions of it that happen more, more frequently, you know, so. Some players, and I'm not, I'm not going to name names. I don't want to throw anybody in the bus, but some players have pretty thin skin. And for all the <laughs> for all the talk of oh, I don't pay attention, you know, I don't read what people write, blah blah blah. That's not true, you know. That I, there, there have been, you know, I, I even my this has been three years covering the Mets. One of those seasons we couldn't go in the clubhouse. I've seen plenty of somewhat tense conversations, one on one, quietly, you know, politely professionally yeah. mostly yeah. between reporter and player and uh and you can hash things out and honestly that's healthy I, i've heard stories uh uh you know i i have roots in boston having gone to college there and i heard from a reporter there that during pedro martinez's peak he the reporter wrote something that the player that pedro did not like i don't remember what it was but pedro was mad so the next day the reporter goes in Pedro lets them know, blah, blah, blah. They have it out a little bit. And then from then on, the rest of the years, Pedro was on the Red Sox. Pedro and that reporter had a great relationship. So so, sometimes, you know, it helps to get things out there and, you know, air air, air their grievances. And, you know, as a reporter, you always want to be professional about it. Um, uh, So, you know, like I said, those things happen and uh, then everybody moves on. It obviously there's been a lot of excitement about this the Lindor trade. Uh, where would you think that trade ranks in team history as far as it significance? Is, it is right up there with, you know, Keith Hernandez, Gary Carter, Mike Piazza, Johan Santana, right? Like acquiring a bona fide superstar who, let's be honest, Lindor immediately becomes the best player on the Mets. I think it'd be an interesting debate comparing him to DeGrom, the best pitcher in the world. Uh, Lindor is necessarily the best shortstop in the world, but he's right up there in the top handful. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's gigantic. And it, it is the first example that we see under Cohen of what's possible. You know, uh, two-year deal for a reliever, fine. 
a four-year, $40 million deal for McCann, fine. You know, th- we've seen those types of things. But now, not only do you make a trade for a superstar, but the widespread, almost universal expectation is that they'll sign him to a long-term deal and spend the money that that will take. So uh, the la- the vibe and the sentiment the last couple months around the Mets has been, it's the new Mets. And that's really the first hard and fast example uh, that we saw that. Do you think that's it, Tim? Off-season-wise, no. There's got to be more. They still need a center fielder. Um, You know, I'm a huge Brandon Nimmo fan, right? Exceptional hitter, gets on base 40% of the time, which is elite, but he's he's not a center fielder. You know, he'd be much better suited in a corner spot. So I'm not super confident that the center fielder is going to be George Springer. I think maybe Jackie Bradley Jr. is more likely. Um, and then, of course, you know, add the Mets to the list of teams that could use another starter if they find the right match, could use another reliever, especially a lefty. I think Brad Hand makes a lot of sense. So um, Francisco Lindor will probably be the signature move of the offseason. It's hard to top that. Um, but there, I would, I would anticipate that there is more to come. What do you think the possibility is of uh, Lindor signing long-term before opening day? Or are we going to have to wait till next winter for that? Uh, that's a good question. I don't really have a good take on it. One complicating factor is um, if the Mets and Lindor announce an extension, say, say it's $300 million before opening day, and that becomes official, then his you know, his quote unquote cap hit or his luxury tax uh, salary gets averaged into that new deal. But if they wait a week into the season, then he sticks with his $20 million or whatever he's going to get via arbitration this year. Um, Actually, we might know more about that this week. Um, Then the bigger money doesn't start until 2022 and the Mets are trying to stay under the luxury tax threshold. So it could be a situation where they agree in February or March and then say, okay, let's, let's announce this in mid April. (laughs) 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 Throw the Mets a bone and help them do the, uh, you know, navigate the, uh, the, you know, money technicalities of it. That, That is what the Red Sox did with Sander Bogarts a few years ago. So there is, uh, you know, a precedent, a recent precedent. Do you have a sort of favorite tale of the reporter that you can share? Uh, mm, uh, uh, to, to, to along what line would you say? Any, just something that 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 our listeners might find interesting or funny or. Uh, hmm, that's a good one. Well, uh, I mean, I enjoy my job generally. I think it's hilarious that the world is set up in such a way that I can make a living watching and writing about baseball. That's just mind boggling to me. <laughs> um, fun, fun stories. There've got to be plenty. Um, I mean, I, I feel so fortunate to have covered a lot of really cool things it, in consecutive years. For example, I covered an, an MVP season of John Carlos Stanton when I was covering the Marlins and then I switched to the Mets, and, and DeGrom immediately wins a Cy Young. And then the second year, the Mets <laughs> wins another Cy Young, and Alonzo wins Rookie of the Year. So that's just, you know, a stars aligning sort of situation where I was covering those amazing seasons all in a row, all toward the start of my my career covering MLB. Um, Stick around. 
Yeah, that's that's something that we need to yeah. do. Sent an extension as soon as possible. Yeah, I'm not going to I'll, I'll stay as long as Newsday will have me. <laughs> um, but as, as far as other good stories, uh, yeah, I'll, 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 this is a good one. I mean, it's not that good. It's sort of inside baseball-y, but um, Pete Alonso's rookie year, spring training, when he is on his way to claiming that first base job, um, I wanted to talk to his parents. And the, the Mets' last spring training game of spring training was in Sarasota, which is a reasonable drive from Tampa, which is where they live. So I messaged his mom on Twitter, figuring they would be at the game and say, hey, like, can I come down and talk to you? And I, what, what I wanted to do was follow up on a story that I'd heard previously from his dad that um, when Pete was a little boy, uh, he really wanted to play t-ball and they lied about his age so that he could play t-ball on a team a year early. And it's just a, you know, a funny little origin story, if you will. Um, so we talked about that and then um, they're very friendly, Mr. and Mrs. Alonzo, extremely friendly and chatty and they're, they're great people. Um, I've seen them a bunch of times since then. Uh, and, and then Mrs. Alonzo says, do you want to hear a fun fact? And as a reporter, absolutely. I love fun facts. It could be it could be something I wouldn't write about. It could be a whole story. And this time it ended up being a whole story that Pete's dad was born in Queens. And I had no idea that uh-huh. then I got then I got the whole family history. Pete's paternal grandfather emigrated to New York City from Spain in the 1930s and then had his, you know, started a family, yada yada. They eventually moved to Ohio, but I thought the fact that this, you know, burgeoning star of the Mets has familial roots in Queens. And, you know, it's, it's just a good example of, as a reporter, make conversation with people. You know, it doesn't necessarily need to be for a story, but you'll never know when you stumble upon uh, something interesting. And that uh, that was really interesting. Yeah, it was actually cool that uh, he, somewhere along the lane of his family that Queens was very much involved. Yeah, yeah, I thought I thought that was so cool. And, he, and uh, you know, uh, yeah, I work for Newsday, of course, which is the newspaper on Long Island. And the Alonzos on some branches of the family have people on Long Island. So I was glad to uh, see, see them <laughs> representing there. <laughs> um, tell us a bit about your book and what sure, do you think sure. um, the changes to minor league, what the effects of that will be and how COVID would affect them? Sure, sure. Well, my my book I wrote a few years ago, it's called Hometown Hardball, and it is a guide to the ballparks and teams in the minor leagues in the northeastern United States. That's, you know, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Connecticut, the rest of New England, Massachusetts, Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine. Um, and, And the goal is to tell people about the unique histories and traditions and teams that you know are perhaps in their hometowns or a short drive from their hometowns. Um, that came out a few years ago, and as you mentioned, the immense changes to the minor league system means that book is pretty solidly parts of it out of date. Um, team changes, level changes, the whole system changed, uh, which is unfortunate for a lot of minor league towns that lost their teams. Um, how how will it affect MLB and, and player development? I think it, it remains to be seen. I don't think even 
team people know the full effect uh, of how the new minor league structure, fewer fewer affiliates, fewer minor leaguers, how that's going to have an effect on trying to develop a homegrown core, which is what every team tries to do. Um, COVID is a related issue that the minor leagues have to deal with. Minor leaguers didn't get to play last year, of course. This year, it's somewhat up in the air, especially for the lower minor leagues. Um, so it, it's it's a disaster. You know, MLB yeah. wanted to contract minor league baseball. They subtracted one quarter of the existing teams. And when COVID hit and minor league teams couldn't make money last year, they essentially had no choice but to submit to Major League Baseball and the new system that Major League Baseball wanted to set up. So honestly, it's really sad for a lot of the minor league organizations and cities and towns, some of which spent millions and millions of dollars to build these ballparks for the teams. And now Mm -hmm. they're just left out in the cold pretty much. Yeah. MLB tried to take care of them with, you know, replacing the affiliated teams with independent leagues or, college leagues and it's it's just not the same you know it's uh it's it's just not the same it's it's a real bummer for in a lot of ways yeah because i would imagine it's affected a lot of communities because they would have had jobs there right and it would have been a real hub for the community where they would go and see their friends at the ball game that sort of thing And and it's an identity thing you know if you if if you say you know i'm from such and such town it's like oh yeah yeah isn't there i've been to minor league i've been to baseball games there or you know it it, you lose a big institution of the community really so it's uh yeah it's rough um so other than the new signings who is your personal favorite mets fan Uh, sorry mets player i I like all mets fans equally (laughs) uh you know as a reporter you know, you, you naturally develop favorites, and it's mostly based on who is a good interview and who is usually open to interviews, right? Not everybody's as friendly. Um, fortunately for the Mets, there are a lot of good guys in that clubhouse who will be interesting and entertaining to talk to and, and are happy or at least willing to talk to you as a reporter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Pete Alonzo is rookie year won the good guy award and that that's awarded by the New York chapter of the BBWAA, the baseball writers association of America. And we, we vote on that award and give it to one Mets or Yankees player who most helps us do our job. And in 2019, Pete Alonso had that crazy rookie year. He won the award because through it all, he was there every day, you know, and he was a very popular guy naturally to talk to. So uh, he's right up there and he keeps it interesting. The year before that, Brandon Nimmo won it. He is probably the friendliest player that I've ever come across. Extremely happy. Uh, will go out of his way to give you an interview. He'll interrupt work workouts he's doing. He'll uh, my best Nimmo story is uh, uh, 2018, my first year on the beat. Mickey Calloway brought in a some guest speaker right? Some motivational type thing. And Mickey wouldn't tell us who was speaking. And of course I want to know who's speaking. So I went up to Nimmo, who was very nice and said, Hey, Brandon, who's, uh, who's talking to you guys today? And he goes, you know what? I don't know. I just, I just saw three thirty team meeting on the board and, and 
I'm going to show up then. I go, oh, that's, I understand that. You know, I'm, I'm great at following rules. I totally get that. He goes, yeah, let me go find out for you. So he, <laughs> he, leaves his, he leaves his locker, goes into some back room, finds out who's speaking, and comes back and tells me. And I, honestly, I don't even remember who it was that day. But <laughs> he was like a little, on a little reconnaissance mission. Um, just, just So Brendan Nemo, two thumbs up all the way. Uh, yeah. Huge fan of talking to him. And then... I mean, there are plenty of others. Dom Smith is great and funny and interesting. J.D. Davis is the same way. Michael Conforto um, is is less uh, likely to show his bubbly personality, or maybe he has a less bubbly personality, but he's always there, which really counts for something. Because mm-hmm. when, when, when things are not going well, players don't like talking to reporters. But yeah. Conforto is one of those guys who will stand up there and sort of take the bullet um, – you know, take one for the team, so to speak. Um, he sort of replaced David Wright in that sense. That Wright was, as the captain, was very did that a lot. Um, uh, so there are there are a lot of good guys. I have high hopes for Trevor May, who's new to the team, of course. Uh, his introductory press conference uh, was very funny. He seems to be a very entertaining guy. So uh, reporter wise, it's it's fortunate that I cover a beat with a lot of people who are interesting to talk to and write about. Tim, last week uh, in the NFL playoffs, they've managed to get some fans. I think it was about six or 12,000 in uh, Buffalo. Uh, yeah. I heard the mayor today or something in New York saying that there's a possibility of fans at, at City Field in Yankee Stadium. Do you think there will be a possibility of fans getting into ballparks this year? Yeah, I, I think that's a really good possibility. I would be honestly shocked if they go through the whole season with no fans. Um haven't heard anything definitive about it, and I don't know that it'll be the case for opening day. But the expectation, at least in New York, is that as we get through April, definitely May, then the general population will start getting vaccinated, start getting the COVID vaccine. And then after that, right, in theory, everything's fair game again. You know, I, <laughs> I, I want to go back to normal. Um, I, I, it. I mean, ballparks are gigantic outdoor spaces. So if you put in one-tenth of the capacity, you know, let in 4,000 people, let in 8,000 people into City Field, that seems really doable. Just, you know, spread out or, you know, make sure that you sit with the people you are with, kind of like they did during the World Series um, when they kind of had a test run. Um, So the teams are desperate for ticket revenue. So I'm very confident that between that and the vaccination that's going on, that there will be fans in stands um, at some point this season, probably sooner rather than later. I hope so, because I want to get over for another game. Yeah. <laughs> we all. <laughs> yeah. It's more, and, it, and it's more fun for reporters when fans are there, too. It's, it's, it's eerie and weird when it's quiet and you got the fake sound. I'm not into it. No, the fake sound was just a bit weird very tiny it was awful (laughs) yeah yeah very strange and it must have been weird for the players as well being able to hear everything that like players in the other dugout are saying and if one of them happens to say something naughty and it gets picked up on microphones (laughs) (laughs) yep that that happens yeah i was just amazed we uh 
with the silence in the ballparks, that more managers didn't get chucked out last year for, for arguing balls and strikes because uh, yeah. the umpire would hear everything. <laughs> that's, that's a good point. I would have expected more of that too. Um, I did have a question, but it's completely gone out of my mind. Can one of you guys think of something? <laughs> uh, there was a lot of different rule changes last year. Obviously, it was a 60-game season, and there was a few tweaks and things. How many of them rule changes do you see coming back for this season if we do get a full 1-6-2? Will they go with the, uh, the seven-inning doubleheaders or anything like that? Yeah, um, it, they haven't said yet. All of, all of those rules were very specifically just for the shortened season, and a lot of them were under the guise of health and safety. Um, I think some of them will remain. They haven't said it yet, but it's hard to imagine the National League going back to having pitchers hit. I think the DH, they're, you know, they're being political about it and playing hard to get, but I think the DH will be implemented for 2021. Um, I think the Mets definitely need it to be implemented for 2021, just personnel-wise. Um, the seven innings double double headers, I, I don't think that will stay. Um, the runner on second base in extra innings is an interesting one. I don't like it, um, but I think Hates they it. can. But yeah, and I, I think they'll find some sort of happy medium where play the 10th inning, maybe the 11th inning normal, and then after that, put the runner at second base. Um, mm-hmm. So I could see some sort of, you know, modified version of that sticking around. Um, but the biggest one, in my opinion, because I, I felt strongly about it for a long time, is the DH. Got to get that in permanently. Um, if it's not here for the National League this year, then it'll definitely be here next year when the CBA comes. So, uh you know, I'm not a fan of watching pitchers hit. I'll be honest. <laughs> I, I, I've always been a purist person. I've I've loved the, the National League style of play, but uh, I've gradually gone more towards the DH in recent years, just with the way pitching has changed and the, the specialization yeah. and so on. Uh, but yeah, I think it is inevitable. When do you think they might announce this, Tim? Because they seem to be taking their time over it. They, they're taking their time over it. And that that we've gotten this far to mid January, and teams don't know the rules that they'll be playing yeah. under yeah. is kind of ridiculous. Um, you know, you can never really bet on Major League Baseball to do the right thing or to do the logical thing. They, they've, they've shown <laughs> that through the years, especially in the past year. Um, so it could be any time. You know, I th- the um, maybe something of a precedent is a year or two ago when they were talking about a pitch clock. Yeah. Uh, MLB yeah. had the universal ability to you know, implement that unilaterally. And and they did at some point. And I, I want to say it was like the second week of spring training because they wanted to practice it in spring training. Um, so, you know, logic dictates the sooner the better on some of these rule changes announcements, but beats me. You know, logic doesn't always rule the day in the sport. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. love it, but it, they don't always do the logical thing. <laughs> Okay. Hello. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's, that's gone there. I may have been my fault actually. I don't know why, but I think that may um, have been my fault. <laughs> yeah, I th- I think they do need to announce these rule changes sooner rather than later because it affects um, teams' decisions on who to trade for, Definitely especially if you are looking at the yeah. universal DH. Yeah. Yeah. 
What about uh, the expanded playoff we had last year, the 16 teams? Would you go with that again, or would you like to go back to the way it was? I, I hated that. <laughs> yeah, so did I. So did I. I think it lowered the bar too much. And part of what I don't like yeah. about the NBA or NHL playoffs is that more than half the teams get in. And we this one-off example in MLB was, was a perfect example. The Astros, who everybody hates, finished <laughs> under 500, had a good couple of weeks, and almost got to the World Series. Imagine yeah. if hated sub-500 Astros got to the World Series – that would have been mind-numbing, mind-blowing, and, and a disaster for MLB. What's the point of 162 games if everyone exactly, anyway? Exactly. You don't want to water down the yeah. regular season. That's what happens to the NBA. And I, I just think the playoffs should be a reward. And yeah. if you let in mm-hmm. more than half or almost half of teams, then what, what are you doing? What are you doing? Of course, MLB is, is, is ruled, is motivated by money. And if they have more playoff games then they get more playoff money from tv networks and so i get that i just don't think it it's best for baseball you know they already make money hand over fist why do you want to water down your product like that you know baseball more than other sports is it's about the day-to-day and the six-month marathon and the grind and building a team that can withstand that and if you lower the bar for the playoffs then teams aren't going to try as hard to make a good team because they think they can sneak into the playoffs, which is true. Um, so, you know, I'm not confident that it'll be the case, but I wish they would go back to the 10-team playoff. Yeah. On that. Even the Players Association, I can't see being in great favor of it because uh, the free agent market's saturated as it is. Yeah. Uh, so is that not going to just end up lowering the bar so far where teams don't even have to try and sign free agents? That exactly. They could probably yeah. just get in an AF seed and make a run uh, yeah, at the end, that would be but... a primary concern for the union, and I think that's one reason why they're not totally down for it. You know, and, and we're going to hear a lot more about this next off season, and as they negotiate the new CBA, and I'm sure that you know a more permanent playoff format decision will be made as part of the new CBA, um, and and so surely it will be worked in the negotiations where if the union gives them expanded playoffs, the union gets some other. Yeah. thing that they want, whatever that yeah. may be. Just, just speaking of the CBA, like I, like, over the past few years, there's been like strikes, so we lost a, a World Series due to player strikes and lockout, lockdowns and so on. Yeah. Uh, what do you think the chances are of a, a peaceful resolution to this year's CBA? <sighs> maybe? Or is there, you know, has there been more tension recently than, than previous years? Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of tension, and it goes it goes back to the logic thing, right? Logic would suggest that the league and the union are in business together, and they want what is best for the business. Um, but there are emotions and um, uh, er- certain irrational things that go on. Um, so I can't confidently say that the 2022 season will progress unimpeded. Um, whether that's going to be a lockout or a strike and whether that's going to eat part of the season or delay the season, I, I can't confidently say in any direction. But I'll be honest, I'm a little worried about it. Uh, I'm worried about it um, as somebody who wants to watch a normal baseball season. And I'm worried about it as somebody who, you know, is personally invested in the long-term health of the sport. Because we saw it last fall, last spring and summer when they were negotiating 
the start of the pandemic season, the sides really go at it and they yeah. hate each other. And <laughs> And they're negotiating right now still for the 2021 season. And fortunately, it's a little less public. We don't see the ugly details playing out every day or every week, um, which is maybe a good sign uh, as long as they're making progress behind the scenes. Um, but I, I just don't trust the sides to be able to hammer it out in a timely fashion for the good of the sport and for the good of everyone involved, which most especially is the owners and the players. So, um, I, I'm nervous about it, uh, but I'll, I'll keep my fingers crossed and maybe give them the benefit of the doubt until they prove otherwise. Yeah, I think there's um, a lot of egos involved as well. Yes. Yeah, safe to say, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, as a reporter, what's been your favorite Mets moment that you've covered? Mets moment. Uh, David Wright's last game comes to mind immediately. Les was there um, for that. Yeah, yeah. It was an unbelievable experience that one. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was really cool. I, honestly, I got goosebumps right now just thinking about it. Yeah. Um, I mentioned the terrific seasons, which aren't so much one moment, but you know, Degrom Cy Young seasons, Alonzo's Rookie of the Year season, um, other moments. Um, it, it's not a happy moment for Mets fans, but. Uh, actually two in Nationals Park come to mind. The most lopsided loss in franchise history <laughs> where O.J. Reyes in the game. That's very memorable. And then the most um, I mean, I guess it's just the nature of how my handful of seasons covering the team have gone, but uh, the Kurt Suzuki home run off of Edwin Diaz at Nationals Park uh, for that yeah. to blow a six-run lead in the ninth inning it was just you know you think the Mets have shown you their worst and then something like that happens and it's just like oh my gosh I had my story written now I need to completely change it was just it's just kind of a mind-blowing I can't believe that just happened moment um and and then you know on, on the positive side that 2019 run in the second half when they won like 19 out of 20 or something yeah. like that that was that was incredible, and that was, you know, it, it sort of petered out toward the end. But they started to make you think there, they might do something, uh, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're used to that feeling as Mets fans. Yeah. Right, <laughs> it keep it interesting just long enough until uh, not coming through. Um, and then as as a one off random one, I'll never forget it. Rajay Davis in Philly on Sunday night, sliding into home, and, and Joe West, the umpire, tumbling onto him. Yes. <laughs> just, a, just a hilarious moment. I could not tell you what else happened in that game, but I could tell you that Joe West slowly tumbled onto Rajay Davis, who had an amazing facial expression. So, uh, you know, I, the, 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 Mets, the Mets keep it interesting on and off the field. So, uh, <laughs> there have been no shortage of interesting, interesting moments. The last thing I saw in baseball that was that funny was uh, actually a Tommy Lasorda moment. Uh, the All-Star game in Colorado, I think it was, at Coors Field. Uh, was it no more Garcia Parra? Somebody, somebody lost his bat anyway at bat, and at the bat hit uh, <laughs> Tommy Lasorda, who was the third base coach at the time, and he just went tumbling over. <laughs> yeah. That's a, I, I, I can recall the, the video perfectly. Yeah. That's, uh, it was quite the sequence for Tommy of Florida. 
Tim, who was your team growing up as a kid? Who did you follow? Growing up, I was a Red Sox fan. I, I grew up in Connecticut, which is between New York and Boston. But I, uh, I, so my hometown is on the New York side. So as somebody who rooted for the Red Sox as a kid, I was in the minority. Um, I, I will say that 2004 felt really good uh, doing that to the Yankees. Um, uh, I, uh, so, I, you know, I, I, that, those Red Sox teams, 04, 07, when they won the World Series, really solidified my love of baseball. And then uh, I got into the journalism thing starting in high school when my high school offered a class. Um, and then I'll, I'll be honest, it was my desire to be near Fenway Park that led me to Boston <laughs> University for college, which also, but BU also has an excellent journalism school. So it worked out for me, um, you know, work experience and internships wise, being in a great sports city like Boston. Um, but it, it was the Red Sox and, and especially that 04 team that really piqued my interest in baseball and then journalism. Did you catch any of the London series when the uh, Red Sox came over? I didn't. I was I was busy uh, with the with the Mets those days, but <laughs> I remember being stunned at how long the first inning took that first day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> how many runs everybody scored. Yeah. Uh, so uh, you know, I'm hoping that the Mets get to play in one of those series. They were supposed to go to Puerto Rico last year before you know the sky fell. Um, so I'm hoping the Mets, the Mets can get to London one of these years. Who yeah, do you Oz think team. should be against the Mets in the London series? You know, they don't have that classic Yankees type rival, so it's, it would probably be the Phillies or Nationals. I want to say, um, but I, I, I'm less picky on an opponent as I am City. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you come over to London, we'll look after you. We'll take, okay. we'll show you the sites. Much <laughs> appreciated. <laughs> have you got any questions for us? Uh, I actually have two questions, uh, two primary questions. One is, how did you guys end up Mets fans? <laughs> um, okay, I'll go first. I came to New York on vacation with my then boyfriend and we decided we want to do sort of a typical American thing. Sure. And um, we couldn't get Yankees tickets, which was probably a good thing. Yeah. So we got Mets tickets and it was at Shea Stadium in September 2006 and fell in love with the game, the stadium, the fans. Everyone was so welcoming and they found it a bit weird that there were British people, especially a British woman <laughs> at the baseball game. <laughs> And um, been lucky enough to go every year other than last year mm. since. So, yeah. Welcome. Uh, for me, it was I'm probably one of the longest supporters over here. Uh, I started back in the 80s, uh, merely just by stumbling across uh, highlights of the, the World Series on TV. And then obviously the Mets were good back then. So it sure. just, and the uniforms were cool, the racing straight thing. So I immediately as a kid just took to the Mets and it's uh, just grown ever since. And just then in recent years, I've managed to get over myself a few times to, to catch some games. That's how I became a fan anyway. Nice. Mine's probably the most boring because back when it was, <laughs> when it was still on terrestrial television over here, uh, I was up in the middle of the night um, coughing my lungs up. Uh, I wasn't very well. Pre-COVID. And, <laughs> and, and there was this uh, pre-COVID, and there was this uh, baseball game on the telly live, and uh, just happened to be the Mets. And I couldn't even tell you to this day who they were playing, or even if they won. 
but for some reason, you, you know, you end up, you know, cheering on one of the teams anyway, and it sure. happened to be the Mets, and and then it just stuck, it just stuck. And sometimes it just sticks. I know the feeling. Yeah. Uh, do you, you guys must. Did you stay up in the middle of the night to watch games for those normal seven o'clock Eastern time first pitches? On a regular basis. Yeah. That's, that's brutal. I give you guys props for that. That's. Two thousand fifteen was a killer, Tim. Yeah. Was that? Yeah. Two thousand fifteen was a killer for us. Uh, yeah. Those those eight eight thirty Eastern time starts and five hour games will do you in, I guess. Yeah. I mean, we've got the MLB at bat, so. It's not an issue. We can we can get up the next day and watch it. I know a lot of us do that, but you try and balance it that you know with work as well. That you know you can right. stay up. And, you, you can't beat watching a game live, can you? At the end of the day, so yeah, it's it's a balancing act. It's right. always, always just the Sunday afternoon games. Uh, always oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, they're bliss. <laughs> Those getaway days are probably perfect yeah. for you guys. Get home from work and and the game's on. Yeah, just, yeah. just six p.m. here is perfect. Uh, yeah. Right. You get maybe about once or twice a week, so if you're lucky, which is cool. Sure. But 2015, me and my husband, we booked the week off work and we would go to bed at about seven o'clock, set an alarm for 10 to 2 in the morning. Yeah. He would do coffee, I would do snacks, and we'd meet <laughs> on the sofa and just sit till like probably five, six o'clock in the morning to watch <laughs> the games. <laughs> Tracy's actually one of the fortunate ones. She's actually got a, a husband who will sit and watch the game with her, yeah. where most of the rest of us have uh, partners that aren't quite so fussed in baseball. Mine, no, uh, yeah. yeah, luckily he's a Mets fan too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nice. That's that. That's some serious, serious dedication. Mets fans overall are obviously very dedicated for you know stick with it for all that they've been through in the, in the decades, but. That's even more true when you're uh, in such a different time zone, different continent. <laughs> yeah. Do, yeah, do you think yeah. that sort of the media and things recognise that there are fans over here and that we are loud and as passionate as the fans in New York? I, I, would, I would say largely not, if I had to guess, because, you know, when you, when you think about baseball, you probably don't think too much about the fans outside the United States. Right. Mm. Um, you know, there are other big baseball countries, Japan, Dominican Republic. Um, but, uh, you know, England and the UK probably don't come to mind too quickly for most people. I, I do remember uh, in, I think it was the Wall Street Journal a few years ago wrote specifically about Mets fans in other countries. <laughs> that, was the, that was the New York Times. Uh, oh, was it the Times? Les, okay. Les was featured in that. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah, I figured you guys would know about that. So I'd say overall, you guys don't get the, the love that you that you probably should. Well, you should mention us on, on a presser <laughs> and say that, that we're here. <laughs> yeah, well, okay, I can do that. <laughs> You do that, and you'll have fans for life. I'm telling you now. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. That's funny because when I covered the Marlins, there's also like a UK Marlins. Yes, uh, Pete. Yes, that's right, Pete. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that that was even more surprising because their fan base is much smaller. <laughs> that, yeah, that's well, actually the, the beauty about baseball here because it's it's grown so quickly in the last few years here. We before it was just a few of us scattered about. I mean, nobody knew each other, but thanks to Twitter and. And these groups appearing now, it's like everybody's sort of right. coming together as a community. That's really cool. That's really cool. And Pete actually managed to get on the Zoom press calls for the Marlins last year. Right. Yeah, I, I saw him on a couple. I I did a couple in the postseason. I noticed him on there. 
We'll push him for that this I'll, year. I'll, I'll tell him he's been noticed. Yeah, he's doing a great job, Pete. <laughs> Guys, any more questions for Tim before we let him go and get on with his day? I think uh, we've, we've kept him long enough. Yeah. Just uh, one quick last one, Tim. If you were to sort of stick your neck out right now, how do you see uh, the 2021 season for the Mets? Uh, right now, you know, with the, the obvious caveat that there's more off-season moves to be made, I'd probably pencil them in for for high 80s, low 90s win total in, in a normal season. Um, I They're probably the second best team in the division behind the Braves, who I think people still sleep on, even though they keep winning the division. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'd say... Firmly in the wild card hunt with a shot at winning the division is what I expect as of this moment. Excellent. That's what we like to hear. Positivity, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you met Sierra. <laughs> Thank you so so much for your time, Tim. We really really appreciate it. Cheers, Thank Tim. you guys for having me and for uh, you know picking out a good time for for all of us. Yeah. Thank you, buddy. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks ever so much. Cheers, Tim. Thank you. And that was Tim. Thank you so, so much once again, Tim, for your time. We really, really appreciate it. And you can find us on social media. If you search at UK Mets Online, we are on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, pretty much everywhere. And we'd really appreciate it if you liked and subscribed to this podcast because we really, really enjoy doing it and we will be doing it more this year. I know we say that every year, but we we really do intend on doing it this year, don't we, guys? Yep, we're absolutely up for it this year. We're going to win and it's going to be a great season. Yeah, because Uncle Steve is going to buy us a a World Series. (laughs) Anyway, thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you next time. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.